right. All right, all right, all right. Let's everybody be seated. Turn your conversations down just a little bit. All right, this is, you know, there are rites of passage that happen every year about this time because what? It's back to school time, and kids go from second grade to third grade. They go to the next level, so there's this natural rite of passage. Is this correct, Mel? Well, and we have some kids that are passing to the next rite of passage. So why don't you come up here? This is uh, Melvin Ad, everybody, who runs our Sunday school youth ministry and all that. And all that. Not the youth. I don't do the youth. They're crazy. Um, these are our kids. Some of them have been in here, and you guys see them every Sunday for worship, and hopefully they're behaving. Are you guys usually good in here? Maybe? Kind of? <laughs> well, we have six New kids coming in. They're moving up into the next classroom. So this is a huge deal because for them, they're going from being babies to being the big kids now. So this is huge for them, and they're super excited. If you can't tell, they're like nuts. So we have a party every time because we celebrate things in our church. When, when good things happen, we celebrate them. And especially with the kids, it's a big deal. We, we celebrate their birthdays and Christmas and Easter and big milestones like this one. This is really, really important to us. So we thought we're going to bring them all in and then bring them all up here. And I would like for you guys all to pray for them because when good new things happen, we bless them. And that's what we want to do today. We left the babies in there because can you imagine that would have been even more crazy. So, so if you pray, just keep them in mind. There's about eight babies over there right now. Um, but one of the things I really wanted to share from our teachers and us that we, we do need more help in our kids' classrooms. Um, for a while, we didn't have any new babies coming in, and we're getting more and more new kids right now, and we really need more helpers. Um, we're kind of set on teachers at the moment. We're not hurting for them, but we just need people who come in and play with them and love on them and just be a present so that they can just not, you know, they can stay safe. And so we have Donna and Patty and Heidi here, and they're amazing. There are some people here that, that help us, and they're just really great. So this is the awesome team, and these kids are so much fun, and yeah, <laughs> they are, and if you guys want to, if you guys feel like prayer about it, if your grandparents, aunts, uncles, whatever, we'll take you, come and talk to me or to one of our teachers, and just, you know, this is a great blessing, I have, have fun every single Sunday, sometimes it gets a little crazy, but we try to make it really easy for the helpers and for the teachers as well, we set everything up, and this is really just an hour, hour and a half of fun every Sunday. And I promise, this is my promise I made to all my teachers, and I keep this promise that in every quarter, in every four, if three months, you only get up to four Sundays that you're serving. Some serve even less, and never more than four, because this is important to me that people don't get burned out, because it can be a little crazy sometimes. <laughs> so today we're having a party, we're going to go outside and play, but right now, why don't you kids come all up here? Come and join me so that people can see you. See who you are. Look at their faces. Come on, come on. Everyone up. All, no, everyone up. All the kids. Come on. All the big kids. They, they think they're too cool. Come here. Come here. Am I speaking? Yep. No, no, you're not speaking. This, this is my kid. He's, he's cute. He, he's one of the three kids who are going to be moving up typically from sixth grade. We're moving them up into the youth. But we don't have a middle school class right now. So we decided we're going to do something really special with these kids. Because they have gone through our curriculum now twice. 
they should know what they're talking about, right? So we asked these kids if they would like to join us for one more year and stay on as our teaching assistants. So instead of learning the stories, they will be the ones who start the videos and then ask the questions, who help out with the crafts and the games and stuff like that. So they are being promoted today. And only one, one of them is here. The other two are, are, are somewhere else today. But we want to especially bless them because now they're imparting their wisdom and knowledge to these kids right? So we're going to be really respectful of them because this is a big deal that they get to do that. All right, so if you guys want to just pray, how about Donna, do you want to pray out loud and then if you guys want to keep coming? Yes. Yeah, if you want to come up and join them, then you can join around or put, put hands forward, however you want to do it, however you want to do it. Everybody stand up. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for these children. They are so precious. They're so beautiful, and we just ask that you bless them as they grow and as their parents teach them and as we have the privilege of having them every Sunday. We just thank you for that, God. We just thank you that they are so um, aware of who you are. It is amazing because you talk to children, and you, and you pray with them, and they just believe. They believe that you are who you say you are. They know, Jesus, you died for them. They are beautiful in your sight, and we ask you to bless them today, tomorrow, and for the rest of their lives as, you, as they grow into the men and women of God that you created them to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, kids, I think you guys can go and go, go on to the party right now, I believe. All right, so you guys are dismissed. You can roll. Hallelujah. All right. Just a couple quick announcements. If you're not on our church email, you want to find out what's going on, events, there's a little card in front of you. Um, put that in the... The, one of the two, uh, what are those things called? Boxes on the way out, right by the door. Uh, just put those. I was having a word word problem there. Um, and also, um, today after the service, okay, we are having the School of Kingdom Ministry meeting right over here, and there will be pizza. Um, Rick Venata and uh, I think John are going to be there. We're going to be talking about this awesome school that trains you up to operate in the gifts of the Spirit uh, and the power of uh, the Holy Spirit. It's, a, it's an amazing uh, you know, class. If you want to find out more about it, we're going to be doing it here um, you know, this year. So, uh, again, it's just an informational meeting, and it's lunch, too. So, even if you don't want to go to the school, come over and have some pizza, you know, with folks. Except, though, you should really think about committing to the school after you have the pizza. So that's what we're saying, is what we're really saying. So um, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's continue our worship by um, uh, presenting an offering uh, as an act of worship. So I'm going to pray, and let's, let's do it. Lord, um, you are the one who is our provider. You are the one who takes care of us. You are the one who watches over us. It's not our bosses. It's not the economy. It's not anything, Lord. It's you. Uh, you are the one who sees our needs before we even ask for them, Lord. So we thank you for provision. We thank you for our jobs and our families. We thank you for our homes. We thank you for living in a country, Lord God, where, where we're, we're, we're at peace here, Lord. We have safety and peace, Lord. 
You are awesome. So take, take our uh, gifts and our acts of worship here, Lord God, uh, again, as a spiritual uh, offering, Lord God, and just multiply your fame and your goodness through us, Lord, and through this church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Vineyard. Um, I didn't say this, but if you're new here at the Vineyard, we've got something for you, and that's uh, uh, Tim Horton's gift certificate. And uh, just, again, put your little thing that you got on the way in or this in the little box out front as you're walking out the door, and we will send you a Tim Horton's gift certificate. So, John Lieb, why don't you come up and share uh, an amazing message with us? Okay, our pastor, John Lieb. I'll do my best. Thanks, Jay. Hey, so uh, how many of you have ever found yourself in one of those moments where you're just sort of you're daydreaming, sitting on your porch, you know, even any number of places you find yourself beginning to wonder what kind of legacy will you leave? You ever wondered that? Like, what kind of legacy am I going to leave in, in my life? Uh, and I want to, I, I think most people at some point, that thought intersects their life. And I want to tell you the truth. <laughs> you don't have to do anything to leave a legacy. You'll leave a bad legacy. But to leave a, leave a, a, a redemptive legacy, there, it, it, there's some things you have to do. And if you're interested in that, if you ever really meaningfully thought, I really would like to leave some kind of a positive impact on the world, a legacy, I want us to look at a story today. It's back in the Old Testament. And if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you can use our paperback loaner Bibles, and they're in the chair seat in front of you. Turn to page 258, and if you have your own Bible, 2 Kings chapter 5, okay? I'm going to read the story, and it's a story about legacy, leaving legacy. In fact, it's 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm going to start at verse 1 and read to verse 19. So here we go. Buckle your seatbelts. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria, and that's Israel, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied, for I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten shekels of silver 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I'm sending you my servant Naaman so that you may cure him of his leprosy. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn... Oh, sorry. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? 
I lost my spot here. Sorry. Here I killed, bring out the lifetime. Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why did you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he'll know that there's a prophet in Israel. Sounds a little bit like, <laughs> uh, that's, that's a little cheeky, isn't it? Like, that's pretty bold. Oh, there's a leper? You don't know what to do with him? Just send him to me. You know my address, right? It's so matter of fact when, you're, when, you're, when you hear it. Uh, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's ha- Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him. Elisha didn't even go out, right? It's an important point. Didn't go out. The pro- the, the, the Naaman, this famous guy, thought Elisha was going to come out. And so Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about the message your anger teach, can, can be saying to you? wonder what anger is trying to teach Naaman. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? Like, you know, go get the, like, like your Harry Potter, go get the seven horcruxes and, so you can kill Voldemort or, you know, Hercules and the twelve impossible tasks, right? Some just incredible, the, the broom of the wicked witch of the West, right? <laughs> something really crazy. He, didn't, he says, if he'd ask you to do something heroic, wouldn't you have done it? And he goes, how much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So, it doesn't say it, but he swallowed his pride, went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. Don't you know that was a sight? Don't you know that people went, let's go watch this. All the, all the Jewish people went down to watch, uh, watch the, 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 the mighty Syrian guy go down and dip himself in this muddy, because the Jordan was a muddy uh, creek, essentially. Go down and get in this muddy creek. I think he was probably, there was probably some snickering going on, right, that he was well aware of. So he went down there, dipped himself as the man of God had told him. This is, Princeton, you always need to listen to the man of God. <laughs> do you guys get the point there? Just always, always listen to the man of God, even if he tells you to do something that you think is crazy. Did I make that point? Is that good, to listen to the man of God? Okay, just wanted to make sure. That's really important in here. It says the man of God. I'm not a man of God, but if you run into one, you should really listen to him. When he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God, again, parenthetically, with a completely different attitude at this moment. And he stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. 
Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet said, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifice to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master, because the king, he served the king, he was like, he would be like a prime minister, essentially, the head of, another uh, head of state. It says, when uh, my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down, and he's leaning on my arm, and I bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha says. So, pretty cool little story. <clears throat> and I want to, again, little audience participation thing for you to get into this story who's the hero just think go church who's the hero in the story well god's always the hero that's remember like sunday school the answer is always jesus god's always the hero but i mean in the story the, the characters besides god the sir ooh, if i had a prize that would be but, but that's not it You're, that's not the hero <laughs> But you're close. I bet you most of you thought Elisha, right? Some of you thought Naaman, pretty, pretty, as a hero. It's a stretch, but maybe. Elisha, you're getting closer with the young woman. You know who the hero was? They were, that's close too. <laughs> okay, is there anybody left? <laughs> This is where you, you just have to think for a second. The, the heroes of this story, the, the, I, I think the closest thing to a hero who's, who, who is named in this story is the young woman. But she didn't emerge to this place in a vacuum. The heroes of her story are the people that formed and shaped her spiritual life. She is their legacy. Says a young woman, she's probably a young teenager. She's, she, was, she was a trafficked young woman. I mean, you get that? Bands of Aram, Aram, Aramite raiders went through Israel and they saw her and they just kidnapped her. And she got put, coincidentally, in this position by God. And the, the simple point of this, I want to I look into this for a second, but the simple point of this story is God is inviting each of you, like he did this young woman, God is inviting each of you to have a redemptive, history-shaping, spiritual legacy. God wants each one of us to leave behind, because a legacy is where something, good or bad, is passed on from a predecessor to people that follow them. That's what a legacy is. Now, a legacy can be a bad legacy, we know, or a good legacy. God wants each one of us to have a redemptive, like this woman, she had, this young woman, and they had, First, the parents and, and community had 
a legacy in her, then she had a legacy in Naaman. As a young woman, she was already leaving a redemptive, history-shaping spiritual legacy. Anybody is invited into this. No special qualification required except that you're willing to go through the process of spiritual formation in a community. And if you are, you will have a legacy. You will have, most likely, a redemptive, history-shaping spiritual legacy. And if, if that interests you, on, just track with me. If it doesn't, pull your phone out. So, now nobody's going to pull their phone out, right? I just shamed you. <laughs> So let's look at her for a second, how she was a legacy of her community. Uh, think of her situation. She had every reason not to wish any good on her master and his family and her, the whole nation of people who had enslaved her, right? Look at this. She's ripped away from her family. And at that time, she wasn't just a domestic servant. It was, it was completely common for those domestic servants to be sexual playthings for that household. So this is a, a terrible situation to be in. How on earth did she muster the goodwill to care about what happened to her master, Naaman? I mean, wouldn't you think she was just going, I pray that leprosy would accelerate, <laughs> Right? I pray his nose falls off. I mean, you know, that would be the typical response, to, uh, uh, and you would understand it, right? And think of what she risked just opening her mouth. So if, if you don't know much about this situation, Aram was a neighboring nation to Israel, and Aram and Israel had a history of conflict. At this point, they weren't a conflict. They were just sort of at a truce. But Aram as a nation was in ascendancy, and Israel was in decline. And so... She is saying to her master, who's like one of the most important people in Aram, we got something in Israel that you need, and you won't ever find it here. Right? A lot of, when I grew up in a period of time where there was a lot of protests, younger people my age were protesting the, the condition of our country, and there was a famous bunker sticker, especially if, I grew up in Texas, and I saw this bumper sticker a lot, and all the people that were criticizing the country in response to that they put this bumper sticker out that said, America, love it or leave it. Like, America is, is the new Jerusalem and it can't be critiqued. Well, Aram was like that. And she's implying Aram, this, this you know, rising power, doesn't have it all. And that Israel, this declining power, has something over them. That could be, you know, misconstrued. She's taking a risk, right? What also, what if... She isn't misunderstood, and Naaman goes there, and nothing happens. He comes back, and he's sick, and he's humiliated because he sought help with a second, from a second-class country. I mean, there's all kinds of ways this could have gone sideways. Do you get it? Yet she acted in this amazing... She had this expectancy. Where did she get that? Do you think that she ever wondered, how, what have I done to deserve... to? in this situation? Has God forgotten me? Is there a God? I mean, don't you think that crossed her mind? How did she rise above that to find some vocation connected with her faith that was possible in that, 
context, in that situation. She did. So I think it was found in, uh, I, I think un, inarguably it was found in the fact that Israel had this sense of status as a people that God chose and that God made a covenant with. And if you go back into Genesis chapter 12, where God made a covenant with the first, the, 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 the patriarch of Israel, Abram, who became Abraham. But Abram was a, a wandering uh, Middle Easterner. And God came to him and said, Abraham, leave your home, your father's home. This is Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 4, if you want to write it down. And go to a land I'll show you, and I will make you a great nation. He, he, he made a covenant with Abram, and it had four clauses. He said, I will make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation. I will make your name great. I, whoever curses you, wherever you go, whoever curses you, I'm going to curse them. And whoever blesses you, I'm going to bless them. So I'm going to be with you. And the fourth clause was, and through your family and this nation that comes from you, and he was 76 years old at this time, I'm going to bless every nation on earth, all the people outside your family. And at that time, just like it is now, we think family first. And so Abram was being asked to leave his family, which was his main way of protection and provision and identity, and go out on his own and just wander around and trust that God's going to take care of him. And that he's, he's doing that, and the self-interest would intensify in Aaron's, I mean, in Abram's thinking, he's saying, I want you to be a blessing wherever you go. In other words, to, and he understood what blessing was. I'm going I'm to give you stuff. That's how I'm going to bless you, Abram. And I want you to bless other people and give stuff to them. So he's putting Abram in this really interesting place. You see it? He's saying, I'm calling you to pull away from your support and everything that, that gives you security and, and every core longing, like we talk about here, that, that you have that would normally get met through your family, through your clan, your tribe. And I want you to transfer your expect, expectation of that to me. And I'm putting you in a position where it's going to be tested every single day. And then the story of Abraham, which all the Jewish people, including this young girl, would have heard over and over and over, was how God fulfilled that covenant over and over and over, and then gave them other covenants like the Mosaic Covenant, which they were living under. And this young woman was shaped by this. Now, what that does to you, it, does, it, it gave her two things. And I, I want to say, uh, because in the New Testament, they say that the Abrahamic covenant was a picture of the gospel. So that covenant they lived under was, was a covenant of grace, just like the new covenant through Jesus is a covenant of grace. God gives us something that we can't earn. God gives us something that we can't find anywhere else. Because those kinds of covenants back then, were this kind of covenant was between a greater person and a lesser person. And the greater person says, I'm going to take care of you. For whatever reason, I like you, and I'm going to take all the resources I have, and I'm going to promise them to you. I'm going to, part of my life's goal is to, is to benefit your life. Sheer grace. 
God picks out this guy, Abraham, or Abram, and says, you're that person. And then the story of his life over and over and over showed that God did that. God kept his end of the bargain. So this young woman was shaped by that story. So she had, the, the first thing she had that made her a spiritual legacy was she had a gospel-shaped identity. So she got thrown into this horrible situation. And she didn't, like a chameleon, adapt to it and just say, okay, what gods are they worshiping? Because, you know, every nation had its gods, and if you want to get along in that nation, you've got to embrace their gods. You've got to live like they do. Because if you don't, you don't want to st- you're already in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a bad position. Don't make it worse by not worshiping their gods and going along with all the, that goes with that. She just said, no. I know the one true God's greater than all those, whatever that, those things you worship are. I'm sure they didn't have that figured out, but she knew that the God of their, her fathers was the one true God over everything. So she followed him, and that shaped her identity. She wasn't controlled by her environment. She didn't let it define him. Now, it, I'm sure it tried to, but she refused to let it define her. And so when when things were hard, and she saw in the household, you know how kids are in a household? We've talked about this before, how kids are, they're not the thermostat. Kids in a household are the thermometer. They reflect the temperature of the household. Don't you know she saw the tension in Naaman's life, and she registered it? And it's so interesting how when she faced that, and, and what, who knows what that, that brought into the home, her heart opened up, and she wanted to see good in her master's life because the gospel had shaped her. She knew, I'm blessed despite what my circumstances look like. God is going is to bless me. He's always blessed me. If you believe in him, you, all he asks from us is loyalty. That's what faith is. It's loyalty. And so she was loyal in that household. She didn't let it define her. Now, do you, let's think for a second, do you ever find yourself in a situation that is trying to reshape your identity as a follower of Jesus? That the rules of some context where you live, work, play, learn, in that context, other gods rule that context. Could be the God of business, could be the God of money, could be the God of some human personality, some demagogue that is called the vice president. And they have their rules, and they're not kingdom of God values. And you're challenged to accommodate them. You will if you don't have a gospel-shaped identity that you know that identity gives you everything you need, that you aren't beholden to the vice president or whoever signs the paycheck, the name of the company, and whatever person their power of attorney allows to sign your check. Second thing, she had a gospel-shaped lifestyle because 
Not only was she blessed, it gave her an identity that none of those people had, but she said, I'm blessed not just for my sake. And this is unfortunately where most Christians are at. I say most Christians. I don't think I'm being uncharitable when I say that because I, I find myself in that mindset at times. As long as I've been following Jesus, it's fairly easy to slip into the mindset of I'm just glad I'm blessed and I just want to be blessed. But, but the four clauses linked these two things together inseparably. The, the Abrahamic covenant and the gospel does this. You are blessed to be a blessing. And you're not just made to be a blessing. Because what are you? You're, you're a battery. You're going to get drained. You're blessed to be a blessing. We're not saved by our good works, but we're saved for good works. You can't pull those two things apart. You can't take one or you can't take the other. You have to pull them together. And so she knew she had a kingdom lifestyle, which was to live for the good of the nations. And the, from Abraham on, story after story after story after story shows the Jewish people either failing to do that, to be a blessing to others, or being a blessing to others. Any of the stories that you read in the, in the Old Testament, all these famous characters who are put in situations where they're blessing people outside Israel, just like she did. These were, she, was in the, she was among the nations. The goyim, that's the, that's the Hebrew word for those who are, out, who are not Jews. We're goyim. Now, I have, I have Hebrew blood in me in one side of my family, so I'm kind of a, a he-goy. <laughs> but I'm part of that, too. All, all, probably all of us that are in here are, are part of that. And in their tribal mentality, if you were outside the clan... You're on your own. But God said, I'm trying to build a new clan that blesses all the diversity, but it's a clan under me. And it's a clan that cares for everybody the way it was meant to, the way, the way my people were meant to. Is there anybody, this is the challenge for you, is there anybody who's outside your sense of called to be for them? Is there anybody that you feel like, I'm not called to be for that person, and you have a rationale for it? If you're following Jesus, who died for his enemies, there's nobody who's outside that circle. We take the circle that we're supposed to be living, a, a people for whom we're supposed to be blessing, and it's our it, it's, a, it's a circle that has a certain size, and God just keeps taking that circle, and he goes, takes his pencil out, and he goes, that's the sound it makes when the eraser is hitting the paper. And then, and then he goes like this, where only his arm can go, and he circles and draw a, a circle around all those people that you put outside the circle. Now, let me tell you something. It's not easy to learn how to wisely love your enemies and love people that are harming themselves and other people. We can love people without enabling, but we've got to draw that circle around them. It's a big circle. How big is your circle? Do you have a gospel-shaped circle of people that you're willing to live to be a blessing for them? 
challenging idea. That's what this story tells, because that's what legacy is. Because some of those people are supposed to be your spiritual legacy. But if your circle doesn't include them, you're missing God. But the gospel, if, if the gospel has shaped your identity, it will start shaping your lifestyle, and you will start living for those people. You'll live to bless them, just like this young woman did. So she, she, we know something about her, not that much, but we can, you know, we fill it in. We don't really know anything about her family, except that they lived in a time in Israel, a lot like the time we live in today, where gospel spirituality was declining. That's why Israel, Israel, this is, this is a period of time right before Israel was sent into exile. Their faith was going sideways. Yet this woman's family and community was so vibrant, they were so shaped by that covenant God made with them that they formed young women who were, and they were taken captive, lived the way this young women did. That's what we know. And again, it just reinforces this idea that I told you the point of this story is God is inviting you to leave a redemptive, history-shaping spiritual legacy. He's inviting everybody. But let me tell you about the gospel for a second. The gospel, you can always find the gospel in every part of the Bible, every story. So here's, here's the gospel that you can see that Naaman heard. So Naaman has it all together, right? He's got, he's on top. He's got professional success. He's got influence. He's got money. He's got position. He's got, he's, he's regarded well by everybody. And then he hits the wall. And what's the wall called? What is it? It's not, you're going to get it right, I, I promise. Leprosy. That's a pretty significant wall. And this is the, the it's, it's our story. Again, it's always his story. Their stories are always our stories. Our, our, our wall sometimes is substance abuse. Our wall can be divorce. Our wall can be unemployment. Our wall can be a health issue. Can be a mental health issue. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the wall can be uh, economic collapse around you that you have nothing to do with, but it impacts you. It could be any number of things. In fact, most of the time, our wall is a wall of our own making. That's the truth, is that we're the architects of our own misery oftentimes. Naaman wasn't at this point, but the Bible says the Lord was with him. This wasn't a bad man. This was a person that was respected and well-regarded. So leprosy impacted him, and then through this young woman, he hears about a God who cares about outsiders like him. The only God he knew was a God, the God Rimmon, who he went and worshipped with his master. And Rimmon was, these gods were territorial gods. They were for your territory. And then there was another God over here for their territory. If you were in their territory, their God took care of them, didn't take care of you, because you didn't worship him. So you're in trouble. And he heard about this God that the Jewish people believed in, who cared about everybody. 
And you know that had to be, in some level, especially when you're in this kind of situation, had to be attractive. You know there was a little hope bubbling up at that moment, right? Like, hmm, this is something different. You, know, you hear this in the Bible, like uh, Moses is out sh- uh, watching the sheep and he sees a, a bush that's burning, but it's not burning up. And he goes, hmm, this is different. <laughs> we, when, when God's doing something, the gospel is the way that God begins to attract us to himself. And so Naaman is drawn to this. So he goes to uh, Elisha, and what does Elisha do? Elisha sort of snubs him and just sends his servant out there and says, tell him, you know, go dip in the Jordan River, which was not the way that you greeted and welcomed, you know, a, a famous person at all. You would go out. You're a big shot. He's a big shot. The big shots talk to the big shots. They don't talk to the little shots. That's what he did. And, and he got insulted by this. But he, the thing is, he heard the gospel. I'll show you in a second what that gospel was. How, how the message that Elisha gave Naaman was the same gospel we hear. But he got insulted because he had his own plan of how salvation was going to come to him, right? The prophet was going to come out and wave his call on God, you know, do this dramatic thing. I think this was the first sign that there was going to be TV evangelists. Right? He, Naaman had a vision of the future. It has to be really dramatic, right? That that's the only way God can work if it's really theatrical and dramatic. Because the thing is, we're so deadened and numb by spectacle that we can't find God in the small things where most of the time he spends his time. And if you don't, you know, like... like uh, Movie after movie has a line, and it, it was even in an, an old Nirvana song, Entertain Us, right? Remember? What was that song? What was the title, Jay? You always know. Teen Spirit. Teen Spirit. Smells like Teen Spirit, right? Entertain us. And God is not out to entertain us. He, he wants to love us. And so Naaman gets, he gets his pants in a knot, and he's really upset because it's not working out. And then he's insulted, too, because he wants him to dip in this funky creek, this muddy creek. That ticked him off, because there's nationalistic pride in this and religious pride. And he's saying, there's only one God. You can't meet him in your wonderful, beautiful rivers. You can only meet him in this muddy creek. And not only that, your gold and your silver and your clothes, he doesn't want it. He doesn't respect any of that. You've got to let go of all that, and you, you need to humble yourself and just dip seven times. Not just once. Like just, not just kneel down and kind of splash yourself. You've got to dip over and over. He's probably reliving his older brother dunking him right in the creek. I don't want to do that again, right? I'm just kidding. He probably didn't have another brother do that, but yeah, Okay. He just doesn't want to have anything to do with that, does he? So, Naaman's servants plead with him, please go do it. Please go do it. And what he's hearing in the gospel is, if you want God to do something for you, you bring him nothing. You can't bargain with him. You can't buy anything from him. You bring, it's humbling just to come to him and say, I need, and I have nothing to offer. 
It is. It's very humbling. That's what he had to do. And his, the, the servant girl that got it going saw it. The servants saw it. He didn't see it yet, but that morning he swallows his pride. He goes and does it. And he dips in the Jordan, and, he's, and this is what the Jordan is a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of the only thing that can wash us. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, like the song says. That what he did, it sounds, it sounds crazy. How could dipping in a river cleanse you of leprosy? No one would ever, cons- now I know when people are really sick, they'll try anything. But he wouldn't try this. He, he was smart enough to know this is foolish. But what he didn't know was that this is where God, you meet God. You meet God in these foolish moments where you humble yourself. And you trust him alone. And it, 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 his life was based on his skills, his gifts. He called the shots. He was coming to this point of having to relinquish control. And when you relinquish control, that's where God meets you. It's the hardest thing in the world to do is to relinquish control to what God says. So he is, he becomes in this moment a redemptive, history-shaping, spiritual legacy of the young woman. She was the legacy of her family and their community. And see how the legacy, it just keeps going? And it, and it, all these people, these we didn't even know who those people were that was, who were the young woman's community. We don't know her, her name. We only know Naaman's name. But it, it's, it's a picture that all, again, all of us are invited to have that kind of spiritual legacy. All of us. No matter what our circumstances are, no matter what we feel like shape our character, our own faith is in, if we want to embrace the process that she went through, and that, Na- see, Naaman was starting to go through the same process. He was being shaped by a community, by the gospel lived out through a community. The gospel doesn't shape you on your own the way it does through a community. It's just the truth. The gospel doesn't change people in a vacuum. It changes people in a context where other people are, where we're letting go of control, where we're we're being known and we're knowing others well. So here's, here's uh, uh, Jay, I left some underneath you there, some little handouts. Pass those out. I want to do two things. We're close. Uh, hey, yeah, why don't your worship team come back up? I want to invite you to take a step today to commit yourself to a specific step. And I'm going to give you four options, okay? If you're serious about having a spiritual legacy, this isn't the only way you can do it, but this is four ways, I think, that could impact your life and help move you towards having a spiritual legacy. One is, Mel already mentioned it, these kids, they're going to be some kind of legacy. All these kids that stood up here, just didn't you look at their faces and didn't it move your heart just to look at their faces and realize they're the future? And I want to invite you, whether you have children or not, whether you're new to our church or not, to volunteer, become a part of our community that helps shape those kids. Now, they have parents, and they have responsibilities, and we're we're not the main 
spiritual shaping influence in their life, but we play a significant role. And you may think, oh, I don't know. I come to church and I want to receive. You got the blessing. That's good. You got the blessing part down, but you're meant to be a blessing too. Second, I want to encourage you to consider coming to one of the discipleship classes that's going to start this fall. We got, and they're, they're listed there, Financial Peace University, uh, School of Kingdom Ministry, which there's going to be an interest meeting on right afterwards. We're serving pizza, like Jay said, because well, a lot of you don't know much about that school, but we're going to give you a little taste of it and a little taste of pizza. Or third, we've done a class over the last two years, a couple of years, called uh, Intro- Introduction to Disciple Making. It's a, it's a six-week class. We do it before church. It's an hour long. I encourage you to pick one of those as a step towards this. Third, join a vineyard home group. We only have a couple of home groups, so pick one and come to it. Or the fourth step you could take is is you could indicate, I want to help lead a home group at the vineyard. Because some of you have led home groups before. And it can be a home group that has a beginning and an end. We can, we can talk about that, negotiating that, depending on, you know, your life circumstances. So I want you to take this and prayerfully fill it out before we leave. Check one of those boxes. You have something very specific that you can pick out and get involved in. Now, we're also, there was a picture in, the, in this story that was a critical image. It was, it was a critical part of the story. It was the picture of this river, the Jordan River. And in, in the Bible, the river is always pictured as this life-giving thing. And it's a picture, almost always, of the Spirit of God. Or in here, it was in the work of Jesus as mediated by the Holy Spirit. But when we were singing earlier, and this is what happens in church, when you begin to focus on God, and you begin to worship Him, and think about Him, and thank Him, and you open your heart up to Him, what you find yourself doing without physically doing it is you find yourself just stepping out into the river. And in this river, the Bible says, there's cleansing. In this river, there's healing. In this river, there's forgiveness. In this river, there's every resource we need. But there's a thing about a river. It's, it's, it's really, there's only one place in the Bible where it's pictured as a flood. It's almost always a place where there's boundaries. There's, there's the bank, and then there's where the river starts. And you have to make a choice to move into that river. First, it's just, you know, most rivers, there's just shallow little slopes that go down into the river, and you, you move down into it. Now, I know some places you can, there's cliffs and things you can dive into it, and the river may be like that here today, but the river is here. And I, I want to just create some space before we, we leave here soon to begin to engage God again and hear in, in the songs that we're singing this invitation from the Lord into that river. And I want you to use the river, when you hear the word altar, we picture you know, the front of, of a worship 
building. But if you could, I want you to re-image altar as the river. It says, come to the altar, come to the river. But the Holy Spirit is here today, and, and all of us are in different places where we need different things, but the river is here, and the river is the resource for all of those. So as we sing this song, I, I want everybody just to stay seated first, and that as you feel the Lord bringing to the surface and bringing to mind like Naaman, your wall, whatever it looks like. And you want to begin to step into that river that you know that river is the only place. Jesus is the only one. The Holy Spirit is the only one who has that resource for the wall you're facing. But you, I want you to do at least one thing is just stand up as a response of faith. Say, Lord, I want to enter that river. And, and if you're so inclined, I just encourage you to come up here, too. There's something else. I mean, churches called us the altar because we see it's a meaningful place. There's something that happens there. So we're going to sing that song again and just play it. And we're just going to connect with the Lord. And this is the end of the service. Anytime you need to leave, I'm not going to have an official ending after this. It's just a time for us to be in the river. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. mistakes come today there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling bring your sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling oh come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are
come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, oh come to the altar, the Blood of Jesus Christ. 